Welcome back to the Smarter Marketer Podcast, brought to you by Rocket Agency. I'm your host, James Lawrence. Welcome back to the Smarter Marketer Podcast. Um, today, I am joined by Kaylee Melham. Kaylee, welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so today, I am the guest. I'm the one being grilled. <laughs> so Kaylee um, is our marketing coordinator, and she essentially does all of the work on the pod. She does all the arranging of guests and dealing with my uh, complete disorganization generally. Never. She, <laughs> she, she edits things out that should be edited out. She uh, tells me when I'm doing a good job and when I'm not. And so Kaylee approached me just before the break and thought a really good idea for um, for one of our early pods this year would be to actually just get questions from our listeners and from the community. And mm-hmm. she's collated it down to kind of the 10 top questions that um that that listeners to the pod have kind of compiled and and shot across so kaylee i'm gonna throw it across to you to put me um under the under the iron under the (laughs) put my head on the chopping block (laughs) well the first question's an exciting one and it's one that's really popping up everywhere thoughts on ai content or ai marketing in general yeah i think probably heavily chat gpt driven i would imagine i think yeah um, we're all doomed. We're all going to have our, <laughs> our jobs are being taken by bots. Um, yeah, like I think in terms of chat GPT, it's not something, I think it's kind of broader than marketing, right? But, but in terms yeah. of the, the, this pod, it's not something that's going away. Like it's, mm-hmm. if you haven't played around with it, you should create an account. It's free and essentially, yeah, we're, we're dealing with bots where you can put, it kind of vaguely resembles a search engine. You can put a question question in, you can give it directions. What are the, what are the top five marketing themes in 2023? What are, mm-hmm. you know, if you're in you know, a particular subject matter, you can punch in what are seven things that my target market might be interested in and it will basically give you what you put in. I, I know that reading more broadly on it over the holidays, it's something that university school communities around the world are completely freaking out about. Some are banning it, yeah. some are embracing it the reality is is that it's not some fringe tech it, you know microsoft have just invested another 10 billion dollars in it they have already invested billions leading up to this so mm-hmm. um i'd encourage all of us as marketers but probably more broadly just as users of technology to, to create an account and start playing around with it we as an agency have you know obviously experimenting heavily with it um, it's phenomenal in terms of creating content, right? So mm-hmm. if you wanted to create a 700-word blog article on the top five SEO themes in 2023, it will spit out a 500-word blog article that... It will give uh, it to you. It, yeah, it'll yeah. give it to you. And it'll probably be of a better quality than, you know, if you had someone who was pretty naive in the space or was a, you know, a content writer that was writing across a whole bunch of different verticals, it's going to yeah. punch out content of pretty comparable quality. So we're playing around with it from... A bunch of different angles in terms of ideation in terms of um mm-hmm. how to headlines and ad copy it, it creates how do, how do they compare to what our writers are creating it's really good for uh, analytics and analysis like trying to pull some trends out so yeah i think if you think it's going to go away that's the, the wrong viewpoint there's also some massive caveats around it right and even the open ai which has developed the tool and, and is continuing to work on developing it has said it's not the answer to everything. It'll spit mm-hmm. out lots of wrong information. Um, Google, if you kind of look at, I guess, guidelines on it, it's saying if you're using just carte blanche, copy, paste, build me a 7,000-word website um, 
and copying and pasting it and putting it online or you know create 150 blog articles for me on digital marketing trends and then you're pasting it onto your website mm-hmm. um, that's kind of being viewed as contravening Google's terms of service and guidelines and um, whether or not it's true there's a lot of the reading I've done is saying that there are patterns in the actual yeah. results that will be able to be kind of diagnosable so if you mm-hmm. if you're relying on it to do everything you're probably going to find yourself in trouble but I think using it as a almost as a way to get around writer's block as a way yeah. of introducing yeah. um you know, copy and add copy that might test uh, or compare to what you're already doing. Because um, as a marketer, you don't want to be copying and pasting anyways because that's not going to differentiate you from competitors. It's not going to make you yeah. unique. It's not going to get across anything you're actually trying to sell. Yeah, and like I think once you play with it the first time, you get blown away by, wow, this is unbelievable. But I think as you dig a bit deeper, you're like, yeah, it's still unbelievable, but there are lots of um, imperfections in it and yeah the reality is it'll continue to get better and i think that because the question is probably broader than just chat gpt and mm-hmm. like google has for years invested in ai and machine learning and probably has been reluctant to roll something out like this for for a bunch of different reasons but all the ad platforms make have always been making use of machine learning and ai for years now and as an agency when we're managing client spends we're seeding a lot of optimizations to, to the machine right but then a lot of the times when we have done that it doesn't actually drive the best performance and yeah. so i think for the for the foreseeable future it is going to be a case of taking advantage of machine learning and ai and bots um, but also with a dose of um of realism and that it, they're probably not going to be the you know the industry killer that i think some people are worried about but mm-hmm. yeah i think where we are in five years not just as marketers but in terms of any kind of service-based business any business of knowledge, I think we'd be naive to think that bots aren't going to kind of um, cut a lot of human time and human labor out. So it's going to be a very interesting space to watch. Yeah. Well, this kind of jumps on from that, but are there any new and emerging platforms, I guess, aside from chat GPT that you would advise to keep an eye on in the coming year? Yeah, I think big platforms, TikTok is the one that probably has has had the most noise, just in terms of if you look at the data around the, the speed of growth of, of platforms over the years and TikTok's growth is kind of unbelievable in terms of how quickly it has jumped to, you know, a billion users worldwide. And yeah. the growth in Australia last year was really strong and the increase in, in spend in the app platform similarly so. So I think just in terms of if you're looking at which platform is attracting as, as quickly increased impressions and, and, and eyeballs, then TikTok is the one. The data is still... Google controls search. Yeah. YouTube is still a big behemoth in terms of eyeballs on video content. But yeah, TikTok in terms of where it sits with Facebook and Instagram over the last two years has massively grown. So I think if you're a if you're a business where TikTok makes sense, you know, and it's not just a younger demographic anymore and it's not just a B2C play. So I think if that's what you you if you think it's a young kids platform only good for b2c then you're probably wrong but generally it probably does skew a little bit younger and it probably does skew more towards b2c or brands that can jump in there and, and have a more playful experience i think chat gpt in terms of it as, as an emerging platform is massive mm-hmm. probably less from a in 2023 will it kind of erode google's search impression share because i think there is over time we will find that users are turning to things like chat gpt and whether google doesn't roll out something similar but who actually do a lot of those research type queries that yeah that currently take place on google if you do those types of more commercial queries best plumber in sydney best seo agency in australia chat gpt is not really throwing up anything in that space at this moment and whether it ever does 
we'll, we'll see. And then I think just from a general viewpoint, platforms like Clubhouse, I think virtual reality is something which, you yeah. know, I don't think it's a boom this year necessarily, but I think it'll continue to evolve and change and where things go with that um, and how brands play there is of interest. Podcasts continue to um, yeah. eat up lots of, uh, not, not so much eyeballs, but impressions in terms of share of voice and people listening in. So definitely a place where, you know, if the if the audience is right, you can market your business. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, yeah, so I think they're the ones that are probably emerging. Um, and then, you know, the behemoths aren't really changing. And I think a lot of the, you know, demise of Facebook type stuff, I don't think we're really seeing it from a, from a brand viewpoint. Like I think Facebook has definitely been impacted with the changes of targeting um, yeah. through iOS updates and those types of things, but still a big platform in terms of Facebook and Insta, how many mm-hmm. eyeballs are on it. Um, how many valuable eyeballs are on it. So, yeah. yeah, that'd be my kind of feeling there. Awesome. This one's been a big one. Money in general has been a big one, but yeah. reducing the cost for marketing specifically for social media. So whether that be Facebook, LinkedIn, Insta, TikTok. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's probably coming out of the broader discussions around the economy, I guess, yeah. just in terms of most budgets are being scrutinised more this year than they say were. Yeah. last year or the, or the year before that so yeah like i think um probably not totally answering the question but whether or not we go into recession who knows but it feels we're in for a tougher economic time this year than than, than previous yeah all of all of the the detailed studies and this is, isn't just a marketing guy you know <laughs> trying to show for more marketing spend but most of the legitimate research done around cuts to marketing spend during recessions says that if you do it, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure in the future. And we, when the, when COVID first hit 2020, we did some really good research in the agency around not, not looking at anything in Australia, but looking at recessions in the UK, in the USA, in different markets around the world. And this is going back into the seventies and, and prior and looking at big studies around brands as, you know, as large as Toyota and all of the studies pointed to investing in marketing during, um, tough economic times actually helps you to grow market short market share by more than investing in marketing during stronger economic times yeah. um, it's cheap it's cheaper to buy market share when other people are t- you know pulling money out of the market so i think if you if you're in a business where a lot of pressure and scrutiny is being put onto your budgets and you feel it's actually not in the interest of the business then um, you can jump onto the rocket website and there's a really good downloadable on that and, it, and it's, mm-hmm. it contains really good data which i think helps to support arguments internally it's funny there's kind of two schools of thought but if the reality is you do have to cut spend by 10 percent, 20 percent, how do you do it during during covid a lot of the stuff we were seeing happening was around maybe taking spend out of short-term campaigns that ne- aren't necessarily performing as they once did and investing in longer-term strategies. So, you know, putting in that CRM that you haven't put in, investing in the website that you've been putting yeah. off for the last couple of years, investing in content, SEO, those types of activities, which are probably more investments into the future, and then investing in brand activities rather than bottom-of-the-funnel performance-type activities. So I think if, you're, um, if your bottom-of-the-funnel stuff isn't performing as it once did, then I'd be looking at, you know, how do we maybe reduce that area down to 70 or 60%. But continuing to invest in the top of the funnel stuff, the brand stuff, because mm-hmm. the reality is, is that you know in most industries, ninety five percent of customers aren't in market at any one moment. So if you cut off, you know, six months or a year of 
continuing to reach those people and doing the, the top of the funnel stuff, things will change. And whether it's six months or a year or two years, economies are always cyclical, customers come back. But if your competitors have been you know, continuing to reach those customers, influencing them, whether it's offline or online, and if it's online through content and SEO and webinars and all those things that don't generally give a return straight away, then you're going to struggle in in 18 months. So yeah. um, that'd be my perspective on that. In terms of reducing costs within social media itself, it's a really hard question to answer without knowing, you know, who the are they business. targeting? What are yeah. the channels? What's the business? But yeah, it's a, it's a really tough one. I think um, one is probably like, I think often we'll find that businesses are spending heaps of money creating content, but they're not really amplifying it very well yeah. in yeah. social. So maybe just being more judici- judicious there, focusing more on evergreen content, um, rather than creating kind of four average bits of content and you know amplifying them all with a thousand bucks or ten thousand bucks or a hundred thousand yeah. dollars, maybe creating you know two pieces of content and putting you know two thirds the spend um, but between them across mm-hmm. those two, and and I think just doing all the stuff you normally do, right? Like, what's the measurement framework we're happy with? Is this bottom of the funnel, top of the funnel, um, and then just being pretty uh, ruthless if stuff's not performing, right? Yeah, yeah. Google audiences, will they be affected by the sunset of cookies and targeting? Will targeting be affected? Yeah. Um, yeah, so basically Google, it was going to be this year. It's not going to be anymore. But essentially Google came out a couple of years ago and said we're going to, we're moving to a cookie-less world. So essentially the tracking of us as consumers across different websites, third parties, etc. we think that's an invasion of privacy, whether or not they did that out of their own goodwill or because there was otherwise going to be kind of regulatory pressure put on them. They came out and said, we're going to move to a cookie-less world. They've now extended that until the end of next year. I think it's probably proven more difficult um, than than they may have expected. I suspect that having seen the impact on Facebook's targeting, Facebook's ad revenue with all the iOS changes would would be quite scary. But I'd be lying if I said I know exactly what's going to happen there. Like it's Google itself is has publicly talked about... um, using different ways to track users without cookies in terms of like digital fingerprints. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk about like Flock, which I, the acronym I, I should know, but I don't know. But essentially it's kind of groups of users based on behavior, based on activity. I think there will be a lot of AI and machine learning in this as well. Um, yeah. So kind of don't know where I go with it because I, I don't think Google is going to do too much, which erodes our ability to reach the right people at the right time and yeah um that they'll in their own self-interest they'll want us to be able to target you target users yeah um google generally i think does do a good job of trying to do the right thing by provide the right information to users when they search mm-hmm. trying to provide good content to users when they're in youtube and um have ads that kind of try to match you know interest and behavior yeah. and activity so I, it'll be different and i think we're already seeing targeting through youtube display and back into search, which is probably almost more interesting than it was five years ago, where it's not mm. just now based on what people have gone to Google to search for, but we are through a whole bunch of different signals being able to find users in a whole bunch of different ways. So I think it'll definitely be different. So I think us as, as marketers have to stay on top of it. Yeah. Um, I think whether it'll be as extreme as some of the audiences that we've lost, you know, not overnight, but close to in Facebook, then um, I wouldn't suggest it will be, but I'd be watching pretty carefully for the next couple of years. Leaning more into SEO, this one's a bit more specific. Yeah. Can old website content damage overall SEO if it's not optimized? Yeah, like I, I won't mention the 
the name, but probably our most successful SEO campaign in the agency last year was essentially long-standing client, technically, you know, continuing to do normal technical SEO, offsite didn't change too much. And the biggest piece of work we did was essentially all around content. And it was rationalizing huge swathes of content that had built up over a very, very long period of time, yeah. very, very large website. And just from a structural perspective, it was just a mess for Google. And over the years, a whole bunch of different marketers in, working in that t- in that team, different webmasters, different websites. It just became just this kind of outdated mess from a, yeah. I think from a recency of content perspective, but also just from an IA perspective and um crawlability perspective for Google. So for a whole bunch of reasons, old content can be very, very poor. So first of all, it's it can be outdated, which then leans into poor user experience. Like Google pays so much attention now to how users themselves are interacting with the website as to how to rank it. Really old content probably hasn't been set up very well from a mobile viewpoint, yeah. probably was created for a desktop perspective. Um, you're generally finding that, you know, your metadata is probably going to be out of date from a from a bunch of different reasons. Um, the older the content, the more likely it is to have broken links, all those types of things. So definitely a lot of the work, not just at Rocket, but what we're seeing in the industry is around consolidating content, restructuring. If you've got you know reasonably well-performing blog articles or white papers or sections of your site from 2019, then probably that's my starting point for 2023, right? Is to just work through those bits of content, make sure that each that particular article is the definitive piece that, Google's finding for your website that you're not cannibalizing with maybe newer or older content. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a ma- it's a massive issue, and for lots of listeners, it could be the number one kind of SEO tip for for the year, right? And if you have that old content and it is back in 2019, was performing well, not so much anymore. Are you best to just get rid of it, update it, just update the meta? Like, what do you think is the best? Yeah. Way like, I think it depends on the content, I and mean, it probably comes just back to that fundamental of you know, do the right thing by the, by the visitor and can the content be useful for a visitor now? And if it was something that was relevant in 2019, it's now just gone, then unfortunately it's probably just not that useful anymore. But if it is, you know, if it was, if it was some evergreen content and you're a financial planner and it was all about how much money do I need to retire and it just happens you haven't updated it and there's lots of great new content out there, Mm. then just, you know, whatever your content process is, take that piece, update it, send the signal to Google that you have updated it make sure that there's not other similar articles on your website or sections. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll probably find that it um, it d- does what you need it to do in terms of re-ranking higher and, um, yeah. and starting to get more traction. And it takes time, but it's worth it. Yeah, that's it. And if it's like from a UX perspective, if um, a user hits a website and it says this piece of content was last updated 2018, it's a really strong signal that you want to click back, right? Yeah. And that then is a strong signal to Google that over time that page isn't very relevant to, to visitors. Mm. advice as to attribution and what should you focus on in 2023? I don't know um, how much different this is to kind of what we've been saying for a couple of years, but strip away all the pressure around monthly reporting and quarterly reporting and return on ad spend and have we hit our sales targets, et cetera, et cetera. But I think just take a step back and go, what is the actual path that, you know, our customers in our particular business um, kind of take to purchase a product like ours and, Are we an emergency plumber where things spike at 9 p.m. when people have locked out and they, you know, you click on a Google ad and, you know, you're there yeah. by 9.30 or are we a complex B2B transaction where it's seven figures to install our software and it's procurement and there's 15 
stakeholders on the client side and no one clicks on an ad and buys our product. Mm. So I think first of all, just looking at what is a typical path to purchase, then just looking digitally, does your attribution model kind of match that in terms of first click, last click or something in the middle? And generally anything first click or last click is going to have massive failings. Um, So it's kind of what is that multi-touch attribution that Mm. um, is, is actually more real world for you. Then I think it's about the tech, right? And I think five years ago, it was all about these amazing systems are coming out and they're going to, you know, half my marketing is wasted. I don't know which half is just out the window now and everything's going to be kind of nailed down to the last dollar. And I've really struggled to say that. I think the the more that digital has evolved, the almost the less clear it is now on what those paths to purchase look like. Yeah. And some businesses have it nailed because they've got a reasonably simple funnel. They've got great tech that ties it all together and um, that's happy days. But most businesses don't have that luxury for a bunch of different reasons so i think looking at um what your tech looks like cross what cross device looks like for you know multiple stakeholders and in your path to purchase and then i think probably the biggest bit of advice is be realistic then and a lot of the time data is actually going to be really misleading for you and if you're relying on data to make all your decisions then you're probably setting yourself up for failure like if i hear that from a prospective client we rely on data to make all of our decisions i kind of in my brain, I'm like, okay, well, let's 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 <laughs> test this because there's going to be lots of problems here. Not to say we shouldn't be using data to aid a whole bunch of decisions along the way. And I think often it's the marketers that we deal with that know that they know that data is really useful, but also can only do so much for you. Yeah. Um, in which case, often it's about how do you arm yourself with information to push back on sales departments and boards and managing directors and all those types of stakeholders that kind of often think that because it's digital, it has to be measured perfectly. Mm. So it might be a bit of a ramble, but yeah, I don't think it's too different really from what I would have said a year ago on that. What do you see as the biggest opportunity for B2B marketers in 2023? Yeah, it's a good question. I think there's probably some, like some of the themes we've already talked about, you know, obviously be leaning into some of them. I think evergreen content would maybe be one. I often will come across B2B marketing environments where there's, huge amounts of effort, resourcing, pressure to just keep pumping out truckloads of content. Yeah. Um, and I even see that with the chat GPT thing, which I think it's like, yeah, cool. We can now pump out so much. Eight, 16, 24 yeah. blog articles, even if they are edited. But I'm not sure that necessarily will end up resulting in more high quality MQLs, more high quality SQLs and more high quality deals. I think yeah. that the deeper organizations go with high quality content, that actually resonates with their target market. They're the ones that I think actually get the results. So I think maybe moving away from that kind of newspaper approach of mm-hmm. every day we need fresh content, we've got to pump out heaps of content um, to look kind of that, we always talk internally about the Hollywood approach, yeah. which is just that those blockbuster kind of themes or kind of um, movie categories, movie mm-hmm. brands, Marvel, whatever else that Hollywood just keeps going back to because it works. And so I think looking at your business and what are those content pillars that you can go really deep at? Yeah. Um, Because I think in some ways the chat GPT thing is just going to devalue the volume of content Mm -hmm. because you can go there and get average quality responses to anything anyway. So it's how do you actually create really deep expert content? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that'd be probably for most B2B marketers, I think that's often an area where um, they stand to gain massively. Um, And then I think, the second piece to that is just making sure that because B2B can be quite transactional or it can be long buyer journey. It's, mm. you know, it can be either the general rule of thumb for us is that 60% of your marketing efforts should be in top of the funnel 
brand building activity that you're not really measuring at all from a cost per lead MQL viewpoint. So, and that's for businesses probably with a pretty typical kind of buyer journey. If you're in a more drawn out, longer buyer journey in B2B, then maybe it should be 90% to that type of activity and 10% to bottom of the funnel, Google ads, search type stuff. So I think just making sure that you're actually, you're apportioning your marketing budget along those types of lines. And if you're not, pushing back heavily on people in the organization are saying that it all should be lead driven. That's good. That's tangible advice. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm being grilled here, Kaylee. <laughs> <laughs> I, fi- I finally give him one good piece of advice, she says, number seven. <laughs> um, this one's kind of tying back into what you were talking about before in terms of where to best spend money, how to make the most out of marketing efforts on a small budget. So what are some tangible channels that people can use how can they use what they're doing with less money but make it more effective i think small is so subjective I got, I yeah kind of often we'll have people come and speak to us and like oh, i've got a pretty small budget and it's like that's oh, actually <laughs> actually pretty decent and, and vice versa like in some ways it shouldn't matter right like mm-hmm. all marketing budgets um should be put into activities that are sensible and make sense based on the objectives of the business and the goals that you've set. So think more broadly, results, budgets, marketing teams perform better when you've got a really clear idea of what success looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, You then try to go deep into fewer things than go broad into many. So I think it's first of all, you know, what does success look like for our marketing efforts over this three-month period or year period? Great. Well, we want to generate, you know, this many visits to our website and we want to generate this many MQLs and this many SQLs. We believe that with this budget, we can generate half of that and the sales team will generate the other half or Mm -hmm. whatever it might be. Um, And then you just try to pick the channel that, you know, the, the market that you're trying to reach, they're playing there and you can can attract them and, and, and cut through. Yeah. Often I'll find that the areas, the teams that aren't really performing very well where they're just ticking tactic boxes and just trying to go, we're doing SEO, we're doing email marketing, we're doing Google ads, mm-hmm. we're doing above the line, we're doing uh, letterbox drops, whatever it might be, TV, radio. But I think just going deep into a smaller number of channels that you think will work, yeah. learning and then keeping the stuff going that is working and changing the stuff that isn't. If you're really, really micro, Generally, and this is probably because this is where we've come out of as an agency, but I generally find Google ads is a, if, if people are turning to Google to look for a product or service like yours, then that can be a pretty good place to start just in terms of guaranteeing that you'll be seen, yeah. guaranteeing that you're only paying when someone clicks mm. kind of thing. Yeah. If there's one thing, I feel like a lot of these are somewhat similar, but they are different. If there's one thing you should be concentrating on right now, what would it be? Yeah. I think data is a big one where yeah. often data is really important for businesses moving into the future. And if you look at the big platforms and what they're doing, their interests are in keeping eyeballs and users in those platforms. So Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, it's very hard to get visits and clicks from those platforms. Mm. Um, If you invested heavily in trying to build an organic following in those platforms, unless you're pretty special, you're finding that very few people are now seeing your posts and stories and, and whatever else. Google, you know, zero click searches where people are finding out results on the search engine results page and not having to go into advertisers and publishers, chat GPT, keeping you in platform. Mm. Things that you can do to have some control are really, really important, which is kind of why we'll often advocate SEO as being a big deal because it will make up 50, 60, 70% of the traffic to your website. Yeah. And it's something that you 
to a large degree you, you do control. And data is the next piece of that, which is if you're relying on paid advertising to just keep replenishing the top of the funnel and bringing leads through, um, you're kind of then at the mercy of the platforms to continue to be as important as they once were. You're then at the mercy of uh, CPCs going up over time, yeah. which, which, they, which they tend to do. And that stuff's very immediate when maintaining a really good database, having high quality email address data, yeah. phone number data, you can segment on whether it's a B2B lead or a B2C lead or what industry they're in or what their job title is. Often most businesses we deal with, data is a bit of a schmozzle. Mm. It's being kept in spreadsheets. It's never really been taken seriously. Some, you know, the sales team used to keep it up to date. They don't anymore. The CRM is hard to use. So it's a hard one to get right and it's a pretty unsexy one. But if you're investing in a CRM, someone owns or a team owns or yeah. a person owns the, the, the job of maintaining it, not, not necessarily maintaining all of it, but just ensuring that it is being maintained. Yeah. It's then an asset. And when when you do have your marketing budgets cut or the next COVID type thing happens, you've got a database where you can send out emails basically for free. Exactly. You can, yeah, you can, you can take the segments of your database that have lapsed, feed them into the platforms and show ads to those users. You can feed the data into the platforms and get the, their AI and machine learning to find similar people. Yeah. So I think data is a really valuable one. And if your market has kind of cooled off a little bit and maybe marketing budgets are cut a little bit, maybe it is an area that is worth investing in, you know, until things pick up. Um, but yeah, that's probably, yeah, where my head would go on that one. Yeah. And like you said, it's not the funnest thing to do in the world, but do it today and thank yourself tomorrow for it. Yeah, that's it. I think that's a lot of this stuff. Like I think it's easy to just want to jump in, get your hands dirty, spend money in, in on campaigns, mm. but often it's the taking the step back and doing the long-term planning and being yeah. surgical with the campaigns you do run rather than being very busy because the, they're the, the marketing teams that generally generate the best results. Mm. Well, last question, and this kind of does tie into what you were just saying with email marketing, but... Email marketing for B2C businesses. This one's a bit more specific. Yeah. So how frequently do you send them? How do you increase your subscriber list? How long should the emails be? What content? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's like a, I do, I'm trying to give uh, very direct, clear responses, but that's such a depends question, yeah. right? So the extreme to that, you know, big e-commerce site that has huge product range, diversity, like if you're the iconic you're wanting to build a email strategy for you know, your customers that transact between the you know tenth and thirtieth percentile. You might be looking at daily, right? Mm. Because you know you're hitting people that are interested in women's clothes. You've got specials. You've got trends. You've got whatever else, and that you've got customers that are loyal. They're buying off you twice a week. Then yeah, daily probably makes makes a lot of sense. Mm. Um, if you're in B two C and you're selling sunscreen or you're selling you know something that is highly seasonal, then maybe it is. Like if you're selling um, beach umbrellas and yeah. beach towels and whatever else, then, yeah, maybe it is during winter, you know, a couple of sales or, a, you know, a, a year, northern summer inspiration type stuff. Mm. Um, and then you may be dialing it up a little bit around the summer period, but that might be an appropriate cadence. Yeah. So I think it, it, it's just this, it's basically the same story as, you know, what should my marketing look like? What yeah. does my EDM look like? It and, depends. Um, it depends and... You want to be looking at segmenting really carefully, and if if that is just based on customers that are highly loyal versus those that aren't, the classic thing of giving people options. There's going to be mm. certain people that do want to receive all your specials. There's certain people that do want your more inspiration-driven content. Um, as with all email, you're kind of trying to drive value, right? So yeah. 
if it's all about you and you're sending information that is just of no interest to your audience, you're just going to increase your unsubscribe rate. So yeah, I think um, email cadence depends a lot on what you're sending and who you're sending it to and how relevant you are to your um to, to the to the recipients and I think it was Ian's episode on e-commerce and I think he said that with email if you don't have an open rate of at least 20 percent you need to segment it further like it you need yeah. the segmenting or it's just not going to work yeah that's it yeah that's and that's a good point isn't it it's not just what sort of business am I and who am I sending it to it's what does it actually look like in terms of my database yeah well, thank you very much, James. One last question <laughs> for the pod. Yes, Kaylee. And it's really fun because you always ask this one, but you've never had the chance to answer it yet. What's your one piece of marketing advice? I actually did prepare for this that, this particular question. Really? <laughs> um, yeah, 100%. Because I always think about it when I ask all the guests it. So for me, it's follow the money. Okay. I think it's an answer which probably 30%, and it's not necessarily the right answer, mm. but I think for me... The marketers that we deal with, the ones that I think grow best in their own career, the ones that I think are most respected in their organizations, the ones that best work with us, for instance, mm. they're the client, they're the, they're the marketers that look at what is the what the business is trying to achieve. Yeah. What are we trying to achieve this year? What are we trying to achieve this quarter? What are the problems we have? What are the opportunities we have? Mm-hmm. And you need they're the conversations you want to be having. It's how do I align? our marketing goals, our marketing budgets with what we're trying to achieve as a business, having mature conversations with sales teams, with product teams, et cetera. I think if you're, um, if you're getting bogged down with chat GPT and TikTok and campaigns and ROAS and all those things, then you, you kind of, you're always going to be, um, I think pigeonholed yeah. as a kind of an executioner of, of marketing, as opposed to someone that's actually sitting above those types of areas. And that's not to say you, you shouldn't be across, you know, changes in the industry and all the things that we need to, to know and do as marketers, but you need to align your thinking with where the money is coming from in the business. And that's the revenue that makes profit, that makes mm-hmm. dividends, that allows you to hire staff and put more into product and all those types of things. So yeah, follow, follow the money, Kaylee. <laughs> awesome. Cool. It's been uh, good to be a guest on the Smarter Marketer podcast. Would you do it again? Be a guest? Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kaylee. Thanks, James. Thanks for listening to the Smarter Marketer podcast. Stay up to date about new episodes on LinkedIn and Instagram by searching for Smarter Marketer podcast. You can purchase your own copy of Smarter Marketer via the Amazon website. And if you want a second opinion about your business's approach to digital marketing, send me an email, jamesl at rocketagency.com.au or visit the rocketagency.com.au website. Thanks for your time.